0: Welcome back to the Aired Out podcast. I am your host, per usual, Lucas Hsu. Uh, Today on the podcast, we're continuing our trend of having on fans, writers, analysts of the teams playing uh, Thursday Night Football. Today we're bringing on Brad Spielberger from PFF. He has done PFF as well as Over the Cap. Uh, I love his work. I've read his work over at PFF numerous times. He's a great writer. He's a great, just... Analysts in general, of team building stuff, salary cap stuff, and contract stuff in general. So I thought I might as well get him on, and we got him on. I think it'd be a good time with him. But Brad, how's it going, buddy?
1: Wow. Well, I appreciate the uh, the introduction. That was too kind. Uh, it's going great. Got a big matchup Thursday, obviously, with the Bucks headed to Chicago. So yeah, should should be a fun uh, fun thing to dissect.
0: Awesome, awesome. But yeah, Brad obviously is a Bears fan. Um, but before that, like I mentioned. Brad does stuff with Over the Cap and PFF, with research and development at PFF, and he does a lot of team building stuff, and article-wise, and a lot of salary cap stuff, and contract stuff, so before we dove into the Bears talk and the was in football talk, I want to talk a little bit about team building just in general, but obviously we had the news recently about Bill O'Brien from the Texans getting fired, and Brad, I know you are obviously a big team building guy, like I mentioned before, but when you're re-hearing all stuff that Bill Brown was doing uh, this past off season and before even started, I mean, what do, what were you what were you thinking of what he was doing?
1: I mean, not good things. You know, I'm not gonna like sit here and try to say, like, "Oh, I was right about every single thing." But pretty much for the overwhelming majority of the moves he's made since becoming effectively the GM. Um, I mean, have been real head scratchers. Uh, I think to any outside observer, and then, you know, to my to, to, for myself, someone who studies this and does research in this area, I mean, when you're trading away, maybe arguably the best wide receiver in the league and you're taking on the salary of a running back that is a fine player, but taking on a large salary for a you know a less valuable position like that's just like right away just a really confusing trade like yes they get the second round pick in the deal as well they give up a fourth but and i get that they didn't want to pay deandre hopkins he obviously got a sizable extension in arizona but like that's a clear loss trade like like big loss trade right off the bat we don't need to see games to know that um you know a couple other things where maybe the overall move wasn't a negative but the way you go about it that's a big thing for me as well is that it's not always the move because there are good players and bad players in this league. It's not about just getting good players. It's about getting them at a good value. So Larry McTonsel is a phenomenal left tackle. There's no arguing that, but two first round picks, two second round picks, and then a $22 million per year, almost entirely full guaranteed, which is not the norm. <laughs> uh, a contract extension for him when the next, you know, next highest paid tackles, 18 million a year. He's like 20% plus above that. I mean that's not a good contract. Again, he's a good player but that's just bad value. So, you can go down the list forever. Uh, I I mean there's there's five or six examples I could rattle off. So, am I surprised by what happened this week? Not not really.
0: Yeah, I I talked about it earlier in my podcast a couple of months ago back like right when it happened, maybe a little bit after that. And I was talking about teams who were on the up and up and they like improving their team team building wise and Roster construction wise, and then talk about teams obviously who were on the opposite side of that, who were just getting worse and making bad moves. And the first team I thought of when I was making this list was the Houston Texans. I, when it came out that Bill Bryan did this trade, and I was just dumbfounded. I did not understand it from any sort of the, any thing, any measure besides the contract thing. But at the same time, you have DeAndre Hopkins, he's your young QB's favorite weapon. And he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. I didn't get the trade. And before that, he made the Larry Tunsil trade, as you mentioned, with the Dolphins. And I didn't get it either. I mean, Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. I think the thing that I also try to preach as well is that you do look at moves in a vacuum, but you also want to just look at things on a spectrum. And so mm-hmm. a big thing, thing for me is when I'm analyzing, you know, a front office's full off season. I want to see a continuity of direction. You know, I want to see them clearly building towards something. And so when you're going to have the highest cash roster in the NFL for 2020, which the Texans are without DeAndre Hopkins, um, but, but when you're clearly, in a you know, going for it, you're spending big money on defense, along the defensive line, both inside linebackers, you know, McKinney, Cunningham, now hi- highly paid. I mean, De- uh, Deshaun Watson obviously now gets the mega deal, $39 million a year. You can't go all in there, but then trade away your bet. Like you said, his favorite wide receiver, your best wide receiver, you know, to tie it into tonight's activities. Like maybe if you're the Bears and it's like, okay, you think you're headed in a downward trajectory. Yeah. Allen Robinson, I think is really, really good. He's probably not the Andre Hopkins level, but he's a really, really good wide receiver. Like if you're in that scenario where you think like, all right, we might need to draft a new quarterback or we might need to do ABC XYZ. Then it's more like feasible. But when you're the Texans and you're like going for it, you can't both go forward and move backwards, and, and they at this point are, are only moving backwards.
0: I, yeah, it's a really good way you put it. With you can't move forward and get backwards at the same time. It's like you can't have your cake and eat it too. And in the NFL, it's teams do want to do what you just described. Where it's it's really just interesting to look at what they're trying to do here, what they were trying to do because. They did get Hopkins, like we talked about, but then they tried adding pieces around uh, Deshaun with uh, Cobb. They added, they obviously bring to keeping on Will Fuller. They added Kenny Stills the season before that. And they brought in just a bunch of different guys. They brought in Brandon Cooks as well. So it seemed like they were trying to move away from DeAndre Hopkins in general, just moving away from the star receiver and just adding, instead of just adding a bunch of more players on the outside. So you add in like Stills, like I said, Cooks and all that. And it's going to be moving in that direction of things. We're just going to spread the ball a lot more, but it hasn't worked at all either.
1: I mean, that's the crazy thing too, is that if you want to look at it as a zero sum, you know, proposition, they traded away a second. It was a later second round pick, um, for Brandon cooks. So you basically look at that as a wash. Uh, his contract is smaller than Hopkins is, but I, you know, I, I want to say he's making like 10 or 12 million this year. Uh, mm-hmm. and that does go up in the, in the you know following years. We'll see if he's still on the roster. Um, you then give Randall Cobb 3 years 27 million so like right there basically if you add their contracts together and the second round pick there's your DeAndre Hopkins except for it's not producing at all and it's two guys and you know so yeah so they they tried to kind of take a gamble um and you know I do I am I am a believer that spreading the ball around is very important you know I could see them maybe being concerned like all right our we're really focusing just too many targets to one guy. Like we love Hopkins. We love Watson. We love how, you know, how everything's working, but we think it could be even better. Like maybe that's the thought process, but A, we never heard that and B, it didn't work. So I guess it doesn't really matter even if it was rooted in some, you know, some decent logic.
0: Right. Yeah. I think we all go there saying, but it just didn't work out clearly. But uh, moving away from the negativity and the mass of an organization, the Texans, which team or GM or ownership group or whatever you want to describe how the, the building of the team, which team or ownership group, like I said, do you think is doing it the right way or they don't have to be the perfect team right now. They're not to be the best team. They're not the Ravens, maybe they're not the chiefs, but what team do you see having a good future with how they're building and how they're building the roster and building for the future?
1: So I like the way you phrase that question because you know the answer to like who's best built and best set up to, for continued success is going to be your Ravens, your Patriots. You're going to hear that every time. Right. But right. what I think is a better question right now, because obviously what you know what half the league's fans care about at a given moment is like how a rebuild is going to go. So the team that provided you the blueprint for how to go through this cleanly and smartly and and long term oriented is probably the Buffalo Bills. Um, it precedes Josh Allen. Um, Basically, uh, McDermott, Sean McDermott, the head coach, arrived and then brought in Brandon Bean, who's now the GM, and they essentially purged the roster. Like People forget that Tyrod Taylor playoff team that lost to the Jaguars team that eventually went on to lose to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. That was 2017, I believe, um, maybe earlier. Uh, th- that was a playoff team, but it was, it was not a good team. And, and they were spending a ton of money on guys like Marcel Darius, a bunch of guys in defensive line, a bunch of guys in the secondary that, that weren't really playing well anymore. Um, and then a bunch of offensive pieces like tight end, like Charles Clay was still there on a, on a big deal. Anyways, they came in, they didn't try to win now or try to be competitive right away. Like the Panthers did this past off season, they gutted it. They gutted the roster and they started fresh. Um, and we're now kind of seeing, you know, you you know, the, the, what happens when you, when you keep cap space and, and when you just build slowly. So they've, they've prioritized. You know they attacked the offensive line like I've like I haven't seen a team do, um, frankly, since I've started doing this. Like they just every offseason they'll they'll sign like five or six guys that are you know low cost vets for like two million a year, three million a year, maybe you know one year deal for you know two million dollars, and they'll just keep doing it until they find guys that are good. Um, and they've done just just stuff like that, and they still have some of the most cap space in the NFL going forward. Um, you know I think right now for this season. They may not be the highest, but in twenty twenty one, we haven't projected, you know, in 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 the top, you know, fifteen in cap space. So right, right, yeah, they're set up for sustained success. You you have to be patient, and I think that's the biggest thing. is just preaching patience.
0: I think it's a good way to word it is patience. Like, just just step on Twitter for a second, anybody. I mean, you see fans just wanting immediate success. Like, if you're a bad or Jaguars or some team. I'm not not saying Jaguars fans are all like this, but a lot of fans and a lot of people in general want immediate success. So they want like, oh, we had a bad year, then we're going to come back this next year and we're going to be a playoff team or whatever. And the best thing, like you said, is patience. Like just building and building and building and building. It's not going to come immediately. Like you said, it took years for the Bills to get back where they are now. But the patience is a great way to put it. And I love the Bills offseason moves. For the past couple of years, to be honest, like they rebuilt the offensive line, not by just signing big name free agents, not by just going after big targets. They yep. threw a lot of things at it. They threw a lot of players in the draft at it. They threw a lot of just free agents at it just to build it back up to be decent again. They didn't go. We need the star players in free agents. They went, we're just going to build it back up. And then with the receiving group, they added two nice guys uh, two seasons ago, season ago, two seasons ago, and John Brown and Cole Beasley. And then they just signed, or not signed, excuse me, traded for Stefan Diggs from the Vikings. And they keep building on this defense and adding pieces. And the way they're building is really, really, really smart from my perspective.
1: Yeah, no, I think mean, you totally nailed it. I think um, one thing that you said that's very important is, is that it's called the winner's curse. But basically, when you land that highest price free agent, you know, rarely does that work out too well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it does. It definitely happens. But... Like we talked about earlier, it's a value thing as well. So, yeah, if you if you go go out and get the Nate Solder, you know, at left tackle for the Giants, who's been you know bad, yeah, and, and they're paying paying him a ton of money. Whereas, like you said, the Bills went out and signed you know like John Feliciano, a bunch of these cheaper guys. Mitch Morris from the Chiefs was their center. Uh, he's on a you know a more sizable deal, but not nothing to break the bank. Like, you know, they just and, and now like you mentioned, I guess now it's different. Now they're transitioning, and, I, and like I talked about direction. So now they are good, and they knew they were good, and so they said, all right. You know, John Brown is a fine receiver, but he's not a number one. Um, and, and we need to get our, our quarterback who's looking, apparently, looking better. They, they uh, you know, I won't pretend that I saw that coming because I didn't. But um, so then now you go in and you get your Stephon Diggs, but they have the cap space to pay him and they had the draft arsenal to acquire him because they didn't try to go all out right away and, and they were patient. And, and that's, you know, that's what came from that.
0: Absolutely. I think what the key thing that it, uh, people can take away from this and teams should take away from team building in general from the Bills is obviously the patience that we talked about and you talked about, but the value. Teams like, you mentioned like uh, the winner's curse and how people want like that one star guy and he's going to change the roster forever and change the team. like Turn him into a playoff team. And the answer, simple truth of that is actually, is that's not true. Unless you're a QB, unless you're a good QB for that matter, you likely... Okay. Go ahead.
1: No, I was saying, yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, you likely aren't going to like change that roster for that better. There's rare occasions, rare, 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 unless you're like, a top-tier like receiver maybe or something, you aren't going to change a roster overnight unless you're a QB. Simple as that. It's, but people want that legit star guy, even though he doesn't have the value to bring what they believe he can bring.
1: Yeah, no, you nailed it. I Paul, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just, I was just emphatically agreeing with you.
0: <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Uh, now that we got our GM talk and our Timo talk, the way, that I wanted to talk to you about a lot, we are getting to the Bears and their Thursday night football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before we dive into the Bears and their season uh, thus far. I want to talk to you about how you felt about the Bears before the season started. Obviously, they added the likes of Nick Foles to this roster. They had some other pieces in the draft, Jalen Johnson, who I really liked. But heading into the season, this COVID is really weird, messed up season that nobody uh, expected. How did you feel about the Bears heading into the year?
1: Yeah, so it was a good segue from our, from our previous conversation, uh, because they, they've kind of approached team building and roster construction in the opposite manner, um, <laughs> which is, you know, they, they go all out like every offseason. They trade up in the draft every year at least once. Um, going back four years now, they've traded up at least once. This year was twice. Uh, the year before that, I think, was also twice. Uh, they've done it in the top 10 twice now with Leonard Floyd and Mitchell Trubisky, and uh, they were rumored to be exploring it again to trade up from the Roquan Smith pick at number eight. So, yeah, they're the, they're the opposite, and, and they find themselves in a, in a precarious position for a reason. Um, I mean, again, yeah, they're three and one. That's that's great. Um, you know, they eked out a win because DeAndre Swift of the Lions dropped the ball in the end zone, uh, and they somehow had a miracle comeback against, I mean, you're a Packers fan, against the worst defense I've ever seen <laughs> maybe in my entire life in the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, they just played a real team this week, the Colts, and they, they they really didn't have a single good offensive drive the entire game until like late in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, I was concerned for for kind of the reasons we addressed. I mean, they they spent a ton of money on Robert Quinn, um, yep. five years, seventy million dollars, fourteen million a year, which which isn't crazy for an edge rusher, but. He is at this point in his career, he's 30 years old already. um, And he is, he's a known, like, you know, he comes off the field on known rushing downs. Mm -hmm. So he's giving you like 35, 40% of defensive snaps. Like, he's playing like 30, like, he's on the field like 25 times a game, and you're paying him $14 million a year. So is that a good investment? Probably not. Um, And so they just paid a lot of older players, you know, even guys that I do like. I love Danny Trevathan, he's a great middle linebacker, but. Getting up there in age as well, I think either 29 or 30, just extended him for three more years and pushed a bunch of money down the line. Uh, hasn't looked great so far this year. And, and they kind of neglected the offense. Um, you know, they have a, you know, a, an ongoing, you know, disagreement with their star wide receiver, Allen Robinson. Mm. Uh, arguably the only guy that we know for a fact is a good player on the offense. Um <laughs> I mean that that sounds crazy but but like there's there's guys that we know are average. There's guys right. that we know are are capable NFL players but you know there there's arguably only one that we're like yeah this guy is a stud in the NFL. Uh, and that's him and he's not happy with his contract situation. So yeah, I, I didn't uh, but the whole time anyways. The whole time I did think they would be competitive in 2020. My concern was the future. Um you know, I don't know how they're going to navigate going forward, but it is still a very good defense. I think there's no denying that. Um They've still looked good in every game so far. It's still not really producing the turnovers that it did in 2018. that kind of, you know, totally changed games. Um, but it's still a very good defense, and, and they have an easy schedule. So they're, they're probably going to win eight or nine games this year. Um, but kind of, in my opinion, that's kind of the worst place to be. It's it's kind of a purgatory situation because you're not really good enough to compete, and you're not really bad enough to pick, pick really high. Um, and obviously, you know, the only quarterback on the roster for next year is just Foles, who we know is not a long term solution at quarterback. Uh Robinson won't be under contract. They have both tackles, are getting up there in age and and aren't aren't great players. And they're in one of the worst cap situations in the NFL in twenty twenty one. So uh
0: they're not in a great spot. <laughs> yeah I think you absolutely nailed it right in the head. I mean like you said when I told you about told you this before we started the podcast that I'm a Packers fan. But I'm not one of those fans obviously Bears-Packers rivals, but I'm not one of those fans that are like, "Oh, the Bears suck" or "All oh, the Vikings suck." Just to say it, I'm gonna be honest. If the Packers, I mean, the Bears are bad or the Vikings are bad or whoever is bad, and the Viking you know, the Bears offense, it really just it worried me as a Bears if I was a Bears fan. Like, there's a battle between Trubisky and Foles, neither of which I'm a big fan of. I know a lot of people liked Foles because of his Super Bowl run. He looked great in that, but that's not the Foles you can get every week. And then, obviously, you've got an, an offensive line, a soft offensive line. Sometimes you get some decent play out of them from, like, a Bobby Massey type who's looked decent this year. Yeah. But then you got Allen Robinson, at least. But besides that, it just really worried me heading into this year for the Bears. And so far, they've looked decent, at least, but they finally faced a good team. And uh, the Colts and had struggled when their offense couldn't do anything. But um, obviously, one of the big narratives Heading into the year was a Trubisky and Foles narrative. I so said the Bears acquired Foles from the Jaguars, and Trubisky coming off the year that everybody finally agreed or somewhat agreed that hey, maybe this isn't a guy. Like you get a lot of people from outside Chicago saying, hey, maybe the Chicago should move off this guy. But everybody in Chicago and some other people outside of there were like, no, he's our guy. He's good. No matter he's good, we're gonna ride with him. And then this past year comes, and he's he's struggling, struggling, and struggling, and Bears fans finally, most Bears fans at least, finally start going, okay, this isn't good, we need a new guy. And recently, this past two weeks ago, in the middle of the game, Nick Foles came in and replaced Trubisky in the game, and actually managed to win the game for the Bears. But this past week, it looked like the Foles that you get when he doesn't look great. Either he looks great, or he looks bad. It looked bad, bad, and we finally saw that against Indianapolis. What is your feeling on this whole Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles situation?
1: So the quarterback situation was interesting. You know, I do think that you mentioned a little bit earlier. I do think that there is probably truth to the fact that coronavirus complicated the the camp competition. I don't think there was supposed to be a competition. Uh, I don't think there was supposed to um, be a question of who was going to be the week one starter. I think if we had a normal offseason, we would have had, you know, we would have heard that. And then, you know, by, by near the end of training camp, they would have just come out and said like, yeah, Hey, Nick Foles has won the job. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's our guy. We traded for him and reworked his contract. Like for a reason, we didn't just do that for a backup. Um, and I think that, you know, because of the shortened offseason and all that, that that just couldn't happen. But I think this was the plan. And Foles, as you mentioned, you know, he that's kind of that's kind of how he, he runs hot and cold. And yeah. he, I, I when I say this, people probably think it's like a, a dig, but it's not because I think that you know I'd say he's the twenty third to twenty fifth best quarterback in the NFL at a given time. But yeah. that's with the understanding that like. 10 guys on a team at a given time probably are not starters, and, and we don't know that yet, but they're probably not, and we're going to find out. And, and Foles is kind of just like a, you know, in between. He's kind of a purgatory guy. Like I mentioned, like if, if every condition around him is perfect, like it was with the Eagles, you know, not only in elite defense, but also probably the best offensive line in football. And the weapons, though, I'm not going to say were incredible, but, I mean, Zach Ertz is one of the best tight ends in the game. Um, and, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, some other, you know, solid players if he has those conditions, then he can win some football games. But mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned, you know, the O-line's a little suspect. Um, you know, the weapons are, are about average. Your, your, your favorite, Jimmy Graham, uh, still looks like he's running in, in quicksand out there, <laughs> uh, just like he did in Green Bay. So, you know, I think I, I think I'm, I, I am more confident in it. I'm glad that Nick Foles is now the starter, but I'm not expecting him to, to, to light the world on fire. I'm, not, I'm expecting him to play better than he did against the Colts. Um, I mean, maybe not Thursday, but uh, eventually – Um, And like I said, I do see them winning, you know, going 500 or whatever. But does he win a road playoff game against a tough NFC team at home? No.
0: Right. Yeah. It's just, it's a really interesting situation. I think you hit it on the head there. If we did see an actual preseason uh, in Chicago and in the NFL in general, we'd probably see Foles win the starting job over Trubisky. But being that COVID is here and all this craziness going on in the NFL is here. We didn't see it. I heard a uh, joking thing saying, about well, the Bears with the Trubisky situation, saying, oh, it was just a plan all along that we're just waiting on Trubisky to fail, and no matter what happened, he could play like five great games, and then uh, once he failed, they're bringing in full cause the plan all along. But I think you kind of could agree with this on the same point as me, but it might have been the case, and I like, think you kind of alluded to that with your uh, what you described in the preseason thing, that they were just in goal with both no matter what but they couldn't in this offseason because he didn't get any time to play, didn't get any time to learn, didn't get any time to get a rhythm with his offense and get a rhythm with his weapons around him. Even if they're not the best, now he still has to have that uh, rhythm and that communication and that chemistry. And it does seem like they're going with full for the, rest of the season, but he's going to have to limp them essentially to the playoffs at a, like, an 8-8 record like you said before. And it's going to be tough for him against like a Packers team who is looked really 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 good against a. but at least he's gonna have the fact that the Vikings have struggled so far their offense looks good at times <laughs> they look good now with Justin Jefferson in there and Alliance the offense has looked good but defense has looked bad it's gonna be an interesting year to see what uh Mr. Nick Foles can do in Chicago down there
1: yeah no absolutely yeah your uh your Packers look pretty formidable so far don't
0: they <laughs> oh man I I mean, it's a crow on that one. I wrote an article saying how I was worried about their offense because their whole team, building in perspective of, of grabbing Jordan Love in the first round and A.J. Dillon and Josiah Uguera and then like four offensive linemen. I was really worried that we're going to turn to a heavy running offense and that's it. But thank God that's not true.
1: Yeah, they they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing there. I mean, you know, the draft class still isn't super involved, but they, they clearly were right that they, uh, they had some good guys there to begin with. Um, so, you know, they're, they're thinking long-term too. I, I think Kudekunst is picking up where Ted Thompson left off and that's another team that you definitely put in the, you know, smart front office bucket from our earlier conversation for sure.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you said that. My goodness. But, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, I'm real going, but we are talking about the Trubisky and Foles offense, but this what? offense as a whole has struggled. Their offensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, is at 26th right now, which is not good. They're like 10% below the average. And this offense, no matter how you slice it, the running game looks looked decent at times, not the best. Where does it go from here? I mean, obviously, Foles is going to be in for the rest of the year. But where does it go from here, even to be honest, or to put it <laughs> bluntly?
1: No, no, without a doubt. I think this may sound, you know, maybe optimistic or or maybe counterintuitive, but I don't think it should. But I think kind of you need a situation where if one thing rises, kind of they all rise. You know what I mean? Like if you figure out if now Foles is a legitimate threat to throw deep, because I think... A huge factor in the run game struggling, even though I understand it was terrible against the Colts with uh, with Foles in there. Mm -hmm. A big part of the run game struggles were that defenses could sit in the box because they were not afraid of Trubisky throwing the ball deep at all. Um, So, Foles, again, not not a superstar in every area, but he does throw a pretty nice deep ball. And I think at the least, he he forces the defense to at least respect that he might do it. So... You know, it is you connect on a couple of those, then it leads to a couple of holes opening up in the run game because there's only six guys in the box and stuff like that. So it, it kind of needs to be everything. Um, you know, I do as pessimistic as I am, and I also I really don't think Thursday is going to be much better at all. I really don't, um, just because the Bucks defense is really good. Um, but I do think it's going to get better. I mean, they 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 brought in Nick Foles, but they also brought in the entire offensive coaching staff. You know, John D. is the quarterbacks coach who used to work with Nick Foles in Philadelphia. Uh, Bill Lazor is the offensive coordinator who used to work with Nick Foles, uh, one of his stops. Um, I mean, they, they hired a new offensive line coach who was apparently, you know, in charge of the run game, Juan Castillo. And the run game did look much better the first three weeks. Um, mm-hmm. It really did. It, 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 but, 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 you know, is that sustainable? Again, they played bad defenses. So is that sustainable? I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the answer kind of, you know, strangely is that, you know, what area are they going to improve? Uh, ideally, one, and then that that kind of lifts them all up. Um, you know, again, I think it's a low ceiling, but I do think there is, you know, they could be the, you know, 18th best offense in the NFL. You know, there's no, it's not crazy to say they could even maybe be, you know, 15th, 14th, but, but you know, 26th is not surprising right now. And and if I had to bet end of year, I'd probably say in the 20 to 23 range, but I mean, if the defense is in the one to five range, then then again, maybe they're a wild card team, especially now with seven playoff teams on each side. Uh, you know, do they do any you know make any noise once they get in? Uh, again, you know, I doubt that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. right. It's it's just a weird roster configuration. you hit it on the head. I think with the Nick Foles thing, running backs are so uh, dependent on the people around them with the offensive line, the QB and the receivers and having a guy like Foles who will take those shots on the field and can occasionally hit on them. It at least challenges the defense and challenges the def- just the defense as a whole and challenges defensive coordinators. Cause they know that he might throw that deep ball and to keep the defense at least honest somewhat, if not, he's not the greatest deep ball throw in the world. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Russell Wilson, not Mahomes in that any, any sense of word at all, but he keeps them honest. And it's going to help a lot in the running game. It's going to pull linebackers out of there. It's going to force more nickel situations and form north nickel formations from the defense and it's going to make it a little easier on the running game. So I think there is going to be a little bit of a restriction from that running game the running aspect. But it still somewhat worries me. It's going to be interesting to see how they adjust to the Nick Foles situation. The from the Our defense adjusts to Nick Foles situation. On the bright side for the Bears, they actually have a good defense. Seven so the defense of DVOA, they have enforced the numerous modern they did last year where they were intercepting literally every pass they win and they air near them and covering punch every fumble. But they're still a good defense. Do you expect this defense to continue this? Obviously, they have great players on their team. You got rookies performing well like Jalen Johnson, and you got guys like Khalil Mack and all these guys. Akeem Hicks has looked nice this year too. But do you expect this Bears defense and do, looking really good? Do you expect them to continue on to look this way?
1: Yeah, I mean, if anything, I'll be honest. I I think they could look even better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I was panicking. I was full out panicking about the second cornerback spot, and, and I thought it was going to make or break the season. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it's been only been four games, and, and and I you know volatility is a big part of cornerback play, but. I mean, if Jalen Johnson is even 80% of what he's been through the first four weeks the rest of the year, you know, the thing with defense is it's it's often a weak link proposition, right? So, yep. you know, they were so good at so many places that, like I said, that was my worry area, but he looks really good. So if that's no longer a worry area, I mean... Yes, they lose Eddie Goldman to an opt-out, which has impacted them in run defense. Um, it's notable. Uh, you know, there's no denying that. But at the same time, uh, I made a note to check this out when it, when guys were opting out. Uh, it's notable for every team that lost a nose tackle, which is like 10 teams in the NFL. Um, <laughs> the Vikings literally cannot stop a run if it, if their life depended on it, because Michael Pierce was like their big defensive line acquisition. He, of course, opted out. Um, yeah, so, so it's so... And they're still loaded along the defensive line. You know, Akeem Hicks you mentioned, Khalil Mack. But then the depth is just, is back again. Um, yeah, and then on the back end you have Eddie Jackson roaming around. So, you know, I, I think that you just need to see, as you mentioned, more turnovers. Um, you know, Robert Quinn, and Khalil Mack, and to force. You know, they have already forced two fumbles, I think. But keep keep that up. Uh, more interceptions from some guys. More just sacks in general um you know because you can really you can really end a drive with a you know an eight yard sack it can really just kill an offensive drive stuff like that so you know I do think it'll get better and that is again a thing where it kind of feeds back into the offense discussion where you know one of the great things of 2018 for the offense was that their starting field position was like the 40 yard line for like <laughs> you know on average because the, the, in the defense put them in a great position always so if you give Foles a short field, I really do think all right, he can score a forty-five yard, you know, he can he can drive the field and get two first downs and then throw a, you know, 17 yard touchdown pass. Like, you know, he can do even he can do that.
0: Yeah. Um speaking of the Bears defense, you guys mentioned a bunch of nose tackles basically just disappeared from the NFL overnight. One of them who didn't have a team yet, but obviously has roamed around and has acquired some visits is Snacks, Damon Harrison. He's actually visited the Seahawks this past week and now he's visiting the Green Bay Packers. But before these visits there have been rumors of snacks uh being on the Bears radar. Obviously they don't have that nose tackle they don't have that stout defensive tackle on their roster. What would be your reaction to say or what was your reaction to the Bears this being on the Bears roster or being excuse me on the Bears radar. Uh Damon Harrison being on the radar.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, David Harrison's a stud. Like, there's there's no denying that. He, he's yep. been a stud for a long time, um, no matter where he's stopped. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Packers, obviously, you know, with Kenny Clark out, they're probably looking more for a stopgap just until he's back um, from his injury. You know, and, yeah, with the Bears, they need a replacement. So, Here's my thing with, with Damon Harrison. Uh, he is a really good player and I mean, he is dominant in in the facet we just talked about which is run defense. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, unlike we've seen, you know, he's, he's a special talent specifically in that regard. But the Bears uh, they've already they signed Mario Edwards from the Saints. They've they've added Brent Urban last at the end of last year. They they drafted Bilal Nichols who they're putting you know playing a little bit at nose tackle now. It's not going great. He's not a, not that big, but Essentially, long story short, what I'm trying to say is, like we talked about before, they've they've addressed the defense pretty extensively. So, okay, if it's a really cheap, like one year minimum salary deal, yeah, of course. I mean, I do that for yeah. I do that for a lot of players. But mm-hmm. my thing there is, do, will it help the Bears? Yes, um, it'll help any team he goes to. But. Like how much value is that really adding? Like we talk about how much value is that adding? Not so much from a contract standpoint, more just from like a. I mean, like we're talking about the Packers. The Packers' run defense doesn't exist, but it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter at all. So my thing is, yeah, sure, the Bears are going to go from letting up 19 points to letting up 17 and a half points a game, but the offense is still going to be scoring 14 points a game. So who cares about adding Jimmy <laughs> Harrison? So that's kind of my, you know, my my short fuse answer, and you know.
0: <laughs> I like that answer a lot. The Packers run defenses is, is non-existent to say the least. I mean, <laughs> they have nobody there. They play like the Darius Smith over guards and he just gets moved out of the way. And they are they play eight defensive backs out there and they get ran over. But their defense at least looks decent and doesn't matter at the end of the day. And the way you put it with Derby Harrison is it doesn't matter. I mean, we give him 19 points to 15 and a half. Or however you put it, to be exact. I, I think it's great because you're dead on right he is his best aspect is the run game like you said or defending the run game and i hear we were a lot about it in the draft talk is can this guy pass uh get to the passer you talk about, like nose tackles and defensive tackles it's always can you get to the passer and not anymore about can you stop the run it's can you do both because the pass rush game has become so much more valuable as the passing game has become way more valuable or passing has become more recognized at least in the value sense. So having a guy like Snacks, who is a pure, almost just run-stopping guy, he can occasionally get to the QBM and saying he's inept at it. He's obviously not. But getting a guy like Snacks, who is basically the best skill is run-stopping, it, it's, it's a nice thing to have. I'm not going to say it's bad, because any being great at anything in the NFL is always a great thing to have. But being that your ultimate only skill as a defensive lineman is run stopping and not being that good at getting after the passer, it is a worrisome a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think the word you use that was the best is luxury. And I think again, yes. another another thing I have is like if you're a team like the Packers and it's week, you know, he's still on the market and it's week seven and you're like six and one and the rest of the NFC North looks, you know, average. I don't I don't care, about, you know, my my. my how much I care about spending money and all that goes out the window, you know, more and more. Right. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to want to crank it to 11. If I'm, if I'm looking competitive, I'm healthy. I have a good roster. I have a young roster. I have a good quarterback. obviously most importantly, <laughs> if I'm like we talked about, if I'm in the midst of like a QB competition or whatever the heck's going on, I'm not, I'm not out there spending more money. Like I'm going to at least like let it, let it wait a couple of weeks and then we'll go from there. So, you know, I will say last thing, conspiracy theory, a hundred percent, but okay. I'm of the belief that the Rams kind of started this, where they almost they almost don't want to be good at run defense because they want teams to run on them. And I don't know if the Packers are doing this. And yes, the Packers. I mean, the 49ers ran so well against them in the NFC Championship game that I mean, Grapple threw eight passes the entire game. You can't it can't be that bad. So so caveat right. there, it can't be that bad. But but bad enough to an extent where, like you said. You know, an Aaron Donald and even a Kenny Clark, who we call a nose tackle, has pass rush ability. He has good mm-hmm. pass rush ability. Prioritizing that comes with its costs. And I think that they're okay with the cost being a worse run defense. Again, I'm not saying they tried to have a worse run defense, but I think the trade off, and we've seen it with the Packers, is your secondary. And like you said, playing dime packages, nickel packages, getting a ton of DBs out there. Okay, we'll, we'll stop the pass. We'll be yeah. pretty bad against the run, and we'll score a bunch of points. And we'll see if it matters that we're bad against the run. And and so far, it hasn't mattered at all.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great way. I didn't even think about the Rams doing that, but you're, you're, I think you're right. I think one other team out in LA doing that right now, in a similar fashion to the Chargers. I mean, they have like zero guys at linebacker, and they have two pure pass rushers in Bosa and Ingram. Ingram's decent at run stopping, but basically they pure pass rushers, and they'll throw out dime packages literally every single play. Yep. It could be third and one. They'll have like eight D-backs out there. I mean, I think that's the future of the NFL, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're gonna see nickel is like the base set right now. There's like, I don't know, two teams who don't run base nickel and it's like the Seahawks and whoever else. And the Seahawks are the Seahawks, because they're just still the old school. Now they're finally uh Russell Wilson go, but this is a weird tangent, but I think the future of the NFL on D is a lot of packages and a lot of dime packages. I think we're gonna see the linebackers as the years go on and as kids grow through the nfl and grow up we're gonna see basically linebackers turn from basically look like isaiah simmons almost i'm not gonna say they're all gonna be freaky like isaiah simmons but they're gonna look a lot less like linebackers and a lot more like safeties and correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's what could be happening
1: I know. I, I agree 100%. So, like, we just talked about – here's the same kind of – same analogy. So, like, we just talked about when now when you're scouting a defensive tackle, you say, okay, can they uh, stop the run? Cool. Can they yep. pass rush? The new thing now with, with any player is can they defend the run as a linebacker? Okay, great. Can they cover? Um, like, Blake Martinez, like – again, he wasn't great in the, in last, at the end of last year, but he is a very good run-stuffing linebacker. He mm-hmm. is. Like, that. that is who he is. But. Yes. He can't cover, so so you don't pay them, and, and so like you know, like you want like a Demario David, David, a Deion Jones, um, yeah, and like you said, Isaiah Simmons, yes, like I think they're gonna start, we're gonna start calling them playmakers, like Tyron Matthew always asks to be called nowadays, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and they're gonna be like six foot one, two thirty, and <laughs> they can play anywhere from yeah, Mike will strong safety, free safety, yeah, and, and like you said, nickel, nickel already is base. Uh, the Seahawks, I'm, I think, are the only team that does above fifty percent mm. in uh, in in base uh, with yeah you know, with their linebackers. I mean, the, the thing if you have Wagner and, and KJ Wright, I guess you, you yeah. You it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, like you said, nickel is Basin, yeah, dime's gonna you know become the new nickel, where like we're, we mm-hmm. view that as as nickel going forward. So yeah, that's that's the shift we're seeing. Pa- passing game is king on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on the head with the linebacker analogy with. I'll I'll watch a bunch of, I'll watch a bunch of college scouting and I'll look at guys and the thing that I always look at now is can he cover and if he can't cover I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I don't want him on my team but it's a less a lot less likely if a guy can't cover as a linebacker than I'm gonna want him on my team because coaches are getting a lot smarter they're getting a lot more creative using a lot more motion and guys in like a linebacker who can't cover are just looking like. <laughs> They're turning into highlight reels out there. Like running back are just running past them and getting great passes, tight ends are moving past them. And now these linebackers are just coming things of old. It's just like you can't be on a field anymore without having coverage ability because instead of first down and second down or whatever down being just typical running down for a team, now literally every down could be a passing down because of how much the ball is passed now, how much more the ball is spread out, you need to be able to move in, in the open field. It just think it's a really interesting thing. I love the analogy you said with dime basically becoming nickel, where it's just like, oh, actually, they're running dime. It's the normal thing instead of just a thing of, oh, wow, they're protecting the bass. It's made a normal thing now. I think it's a really, really good way you put it. Um, we talked about the Bears defense. We talked about their offense. We talked a little bit about them for the future, but for this season, this season alone, uh, just, just the regular season and playoffs, if they make it. How do you feel about them for the season to come?
1: Sure. So, you know, I think it's really, it's funny that Ned Foles is the guy they targeted because, like, he, he basically, how he goes is, is kind of how the team's going to go. So, you know, I do think they have, I, I do think they're, they're definitely, because of the seven-team system now, like, I really do think they're, they're going to get in the playoffs. Um, mm mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to, they're most likely not going to win the NFC North. So right away, it's all right. You're looking at one of the three wild card spots. Um, yep. Can the defense steal a game? Yes. Like, like they can. They can go into, you know, I don't know. If, if, you know, I don't know. Can they go into Seattle? No. Maybe they could go into like, <laughs> I don't even know. Tampa, New Orleans. Well, if one of those teams has some injuries and, and the quarterbacks are looking old or something late in the year,
0: one of the NFC but, East teams.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah. there, There's a go. Okay. true. There you go. Okay. The Cowboys. Yeah. So can they, <laughs> they go to Dallas and, and the defense can still win? Yes. But if they have, if they're okay, if they ever get behind, like the game's pretty much over. Um, <laughs> and that, which we even see with good teams. I mean, we even see with Baltimore, like we're getting, we're start we're starting to get concerned there. Like, can they play from behind? Like, you know, even, even good teams deal with that. So yeah. So that's a, that's a fear. Um, and then, yeah, you really just kind of need like things to go right. Like it's, the thing with when you have an Aaron Rodgers and when you when you have a Patrick Mahomes is or Russell Wilson is basically like if we play well and they play well we'll win. Whereas when you're a team that that does not have that quarterback it's basically like all right, are we going to have are we going to win the turnover differential? Let's say like, you know, we have two, they have none. Are we going to you know, maybe penalties going our way and maybe uh, they miss a spot and they give us a first down when it should have been a fourth down. Like like it sounds ridiculous, but like you need all these little details to kind of go your way. Um, and then you know the variance and randomness of NFL football comes into play, but you're not really in control of your own destiny without a, without a franchise quarterback, uh, in the playoffs, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're kind of just at the mercy of the, the bounces of the, the old pigskin, really.
0: <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It You said it's silly when you talk about those little nuances, like can you convert here, can you convert here, can the ball bounce your way, and it's as stupid as it sounds, we all... Oh, Everybody in the NFL, like, writing world and analysts and people who talk about football, it's always these broad things. But football is, in sports in general, are just so much like, can the ball bounce your way? And when you don't have, especially in football, you don't have that elite level QB. It's, can you get a little lucky here? Can you get this just to go your way? And how you put it is really good because nobody really thinks of that. People think of it as, like, broad strokes almost. But putting it that way is really, really smart. Because the Bears are just that team where, to me at least, they're clearly not going to win the NFC North. Unless the Packers struggle somehow, Rodgers goes down, something cash logic happens. I think Packers win the NFC North. But they're probably going to make the playoffs, I think. I think they're going to scrape in. It's like that 7 or 6 seed, like an 8 and 8 record or 9 and 7 where they're going to get in there barely. And they're going to have to get the bounce to go the way. Like we said, you said it. Uh, like an NFC East, like a Cowboys or some team, like a Saints, maybe. You know, Buccaneers. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do. Um, looking ahead to the future, past this season, heading into the offseason, obviously you've got to play basically no QB, like you said, besides Foles. Trubisky is probably done in Chicago. Uh, what do the Bears do to improve on their team this upcoming season? I see the draft is ways away. We've only had a few weeks of college football. Free agency is a ways away, but from this perspective, or do you want to take it from, what do the Bears have to do to improve this off season?
1: Yeah, so if you thought my you know twenty twenty outlook wasn't super rosy, then uh, you're you're in for a uh, you know a, a roller coaster ride on this one. But I, I mean, it really again, it it really does. This isn't me trying to dodge the question, but I, I think it depends in large part on how the season plays out. First of all. Um, you know, if falls, if let's say by the, you know, some miracle, let's say he does look really good or, or you know, good enough that you say, OK, this guy can start, um, you know, for a, a year or two more then maybe we'll draft someone and, you know, let him be the bridge in 2022 or whatever. You know, that, that's one scenario. Um, I, I don't think that th- that's going to happen. But let's say that happens. You, you still have to. So, again, the only you, you wouldn't have Allen Robinson under contract at that point. Um, and, and as much as you know, I'm a fan of Anthony Miller in a general sense, he, he's very inconsistent, mm-hmm. but he is a good player. Um, Darnell Mooney looks like a great player already. Um, fifth rounder this year, wide receiver out of two lane, already looks really good. Um, but again, like you're, you know, Jimmy Graham's probably gonna get cut, so you're, you're down to Cole Komet who, who hasn't really done anything yet, which which happens with rookie tight ends, so we'll see there. But, mm-hmm. anyways, like you still have so many question marks. I don't, I don't need to go down list by list. All I can say is this is they have they have question marks at a lot of spots in their roster and they're old. They're old at a lot of spots on their roster and they don't have a lot of cast base. So that, that's my, that's my outlook on 2021 is it, it's going to be a tough, like it's going to be tough. What, whatever they try to do, it's not going to be easy and odds are it's not going to go great.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm looking, looking at the bear, look at the bears salary cap and, uh contracts for this excuse me that's all But the contracts is on over the cap and a pff and the one thing from my perspective you don't perfect excuse me perspective you don't want to be when you're heading into an offseason is a old two have a lot of money and three have a lot of or not have a lot of draft picks and yep. the bears have a lot of money spent they're losing a lot of players and they're a lot all holding you when you put it i mean it's a really it's gonna they're gonna have to pull something out of their ass for a lack of a better term because it's gonna be a really really rough offseason unless they kill the draft or something like that it's gonna be a really rough for the bears i think
1: well the one you know the one thing that we we touched on a couple times before the only the only way out which is possible um is you draft not just kill the draft you draft a rookie quarterback in 2021 um you know they're not gonna we talked about and this is why i don't like the fact they're gonna go nine and seven and lose in the first round um (laughs) is because they're gonna have you know the 18th pick or the 19th pick but but hey i mean the chiefs had the 27th pick and traded up to 10 to take Mahomes. um so, you know, if they fall in love with, uh, who knows, the Trey Lance or, or, you know, I don't think they I don't think uh, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence are going to be available.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: Teams that have picks one and two would probably be insane to get rid of picks one or two. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that is truly that, that that's not me like being hyperbolic. I think that is the only way where you write the ship in the short term, um, where basically in 2022, you're like a competitive team. That's the only way.
0: Would you I don't have this my notes set up, but would you support a move where Ryan Pace just goes full teardown essentially? He just scribes everything down to nothing and just starts over. Would you support that if they did that this offseason?
1: I would support it if someone else did that this offseason. I <laughs> i I mean I I couldn't be I couldn't be joking less about that one. I, I either like I just said about direction, either you let him Continue to try to, you know, make something, get lemonade out of these these lemons, mm-hmm. or you let someone else, because at this point now, let's say Foles isn't good. At this point, right. you know, you have Glennon Trubisky Foles, you let him, you know, spend like significant, you know, whether it's money or tra- draft picks, whatever. And all three, you know, were bad in Chicago at, at, at the least. So at that point, why are you letting that guy pick a new quarterback is my question. And, and then, two, like, yeah, we we said the, the roster old and it has a lot of money pushed into the future. You know, they lead a lot of restructures and stuff like that on old players. So why let the guy who created the mess navigate the mess? Um, you know, I've been asking the same question in Houston. I truly do not understand why they're letting the guy who just worked with Bill O'Brien on all of these deals, uh, why they're letting him stay to write the ship. Um, I'm not sure what he's done to show that he's competent in any way, shape or form. Uh, unless you're basically telling us that he had no say in any decision they made. And basically Bill O'Brien did all the work and he just kind of sat there and twiddled his thumbs. Like it's either, it's either one or the other, right? Like you can't, what else are you saying by doing that? So, right. yeah. So if you go tear down, I'm, I'm all for tear down, but yeah, it, it could not be under the, the direction of, of Mr. Pace.
0: <laughs> I, I liked him coming in. when We first came to Chicago as just a, non-biased aspect where I got a GM skill-wise. I liked him, but the moves he's made, I mean, I've heard... The reasons I've heard for him drafting Trubisky were just mind-boggling to me. Like, he had, like, uh, some beat-up car or something that wasn't nice, and he drafted him because of that, and I'm like...
1: Yeah, that was was one of the reasons. No, the thing with him is that, you know, I I will say, he, he is a very good talent evaluator. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's many aspects to being a GM in the NFL and probably the most important part is, 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 you know, his talent evaluation. But of course there are some GMs that are more scouts, which he certainly is. And there's some GMs that are more, you know, transactional guys that, you know, come from the front office side. And his problem is like we said, he did, you know, he finds these late round, you know, great players all the time. I mean, you have Adrian Amos on the Packers now. That's one of, you know, 20 examples I could name out, but he has like five picks a draft a, a year because he's trading up all the time, so you should probably be hitting on more guys if you're if you refuse to ever let a guy fall to you, then you probably should be doing pretty well. Um, so it's stuff like that where again it's a value thing. It it's, it again comes back to value. He has found a lot of late round talent, but he also you know has made a lot of moves that just hamper your ability to compete.
0: I think it's a good way to put it. I mean everything I said on this podcast a million times. It always comes back to value. And people just like to go with is this guy good? And right now, the best player in the NFL to me is Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald's a a monster to me. I think he's bonafide Hall of Famer. I think he may be the best player in his edition to ever play it, but he doesn't bring the value. He's a great pass rusher, but he doesn't bring value to the thing. And people always like to go with the best player. And just work with a best player. And the thing with scouts that I always scouts scouts who turn GM or scouts who turn to some front office role, they always like to go with the best player. And who is this guy good? Is he going to improve the spot my position or whatever how you want to say it? But one thing they, they struggle with is value. You you can get a good guy, but if he's not going to bring value to your team, if he's not going to put I get you closer to winning games, I get you closer to winning the Super Bowl, the ultimate goal. What's the point of bringing him on at the end of the, game, at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I will say like, there are probably one exceptions to that in the NFL and his name might be Aaron Donald, but, but, um, <laughs> but no, but I, but I do a hundred percent agree with the overarching point. No question about it. It's that, you know, we get lost in how good this player is, how flashy he is kind of, there, there's still this issue with just proximity to the ball. Like, I literally think that I think the running back market would be would be way less if they just didn't come in contact with the ball. So stuff like that. <laughs> like, we just see Aaron Donald on, on TV a lot because he's smacking quarterbacks around and stuff like that. But and he is he is probably you might be the best defensive player that like overall that we've seen in, in in you know the last you know five six seven years whatever it is. Yeah. But but in a given year, is the fifth best safety probably adding more football value to the team. Um, then Aaron Donald's contribution, potentially, like his yeah. war, his war might be the same. So, so that's right. And, and the fifth highest paid safety is making like $13 million a year. And, and Donald's making 21 and a half million a year. So yeah, that's like, I'm glad that's, that's what the podcast is about. Cause that's, that's what the league's all about or should be. It's what it's not about, but should be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of front offices out there where it's not about value, but everything should be about value. If you're trying to win games, Last thing before we get to the Bears or Buccaneers predictions, I just we We're talking about the Bears having a lot of cap a lot of money spent and all this, and we talked about it earlier on in the podcast with the Texans. One team who has spent a ton of money and people are calling them they're basically in salary cap hell, essentially, and <laughs> salary hell, is the New Orleans Saints. And obviously, they went out all out this year. They're throwing everything at the wall, trying to win the Super Bowl with Drew Brees before his arm literally falls off and he can't throw the ball to the sons anymore. But when this, no matter how it ends, Super Bowl, they lose the rest of the games, no matter what, how do the Saints recover from this, essentially?
1: So I, I say this with with no exaggeration or, or like opinion like this is just like what I have learned from studying salary there has never been a team more all in probably probably in the history of the National Football League um, than the 2020 New Orleans Saints. Um, so what they, they've and I'll be honest, they've almost taught me some things that I didn't really know about the salary cap. And and like we always knew that it could be manipulated, and that you could obviously you could spend more than that year's cap in in cash and all. We knew we knew things like that, but mm-hmm. the degree to which you can do that, um, I'm not sure we really recognized how far you can go. Um, at the end of the day, the reality is if your owner is willing to spend that cash, you can basically spend you know a hundred million dollars more in cash than, than that year's cap. Um, for a long time, I mean, they've been do- they haven't been doing that every year, but they've been they've been spending over the cap probably for ten years in a row. Um, the thing about it is, is Drew Brees. Yes, Drew. This is Drew Brees' final season. I-, I I would put I would bet my life savings, which is not a lot, but I would still do it, uh, <laughs> and I and I'd be okay with it. Um, on that being the case, and what's going to happen is. Uh, is there they, they might, if they don't find a quarterback, then they should bottom out, and I think they'll probably be two and fourteen for like three years in a row, um, maybe two years in a row, where they're truly just like in, incapable of fielding a a competitive roster. So to bring the to bring the podcast full 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 circle, so <laughs> the Buffalo Bills, as I mentioned, when they when they started out and tried to be patient and, and got the roster, they had like fifty five or sixty million in what we call dead money which is basically cap space that's allocated to players that are no longer on your roster. It comes from cutting them or trading them or, or whatever. They retire, whatever it is. And the salary cap in the first year, the, in 2018 when Bean got there, was like $177 million. So basically a third of their caps, entire cap space was all taken up by guys that were not even on the Buffalo Bills. The Saints are going to have, out of a 200... like They're going to have like half of their roster accounted for by a bunch of guys... like. Like, I mean, they have yeah. money pushed into 2025 for guys that are like 32 years old. I mean, like, we're talking like Janoris Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins, like PJ Williams. Like, I could name 15 people that are 32 or older that have $10 million in cap space, you know, that that that, that, that is owed to them in 2022. So, yeah, so basically, but I will say the thing is, is that. I am totally okay with this. I think that the value of a franchise quarterback is so astronomical that when you have one, and particularly now when you know that he's he, he's done, this is what you should do because you're gonna have to go through a rebuild anyways. If you don't find a quarterback, you're gonna suck anyways. I, I guess you're a Packers guy, and I didn't even know that Taysom Hill was a Packers guy until like mm-hmm. this week when I when I saw it. He stinks, he's not an NFL quarterback. If you think <laughs> he is, you're an insane person. So 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 they don't they don't have a solution. So it it uh, you know the thing is Sean Payton's competitive, and they just paid a bunch of guys, so they're gonna try. But I would I would bet they try in twenty twenty one. It doesn't go very well, and then they just flush the toilet.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess you're not a believer in the next Steve Young and Taysom Hill, but (laughs) that's all right. But one thing that okay, so I I like I love team building. I'm not very and i'm fluent in salary cap i'm not genius in salary cap like you are but i love the team building aspect and adding pieces and trying to build the best roster like i said i understand the salary cap like to extreme matches but i understand some of it but what the saints have done is like, like i do not understand it. i've like looked at their numbers and tried to understand it. i'm like how do they how is this like in the rules it's like we talk about like this to non non-popular reference here we talk about like, billionaires who are like Amazon or these companies like pay zero dollars in taxes and like these loopholes. and like, has just like figured out a loophole to like, just pay everybody until the end of time. And it's like, what is, I, I simply do not understand what, how they did it. It's, it boggles my mind to be honest with you.
1: So there's, there's a ton of mechanisms, but the one you can look at, um, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a loophole, but other teams do it. The bears do it. The Eagles also have done it a ton. It's called void years. And so, What you can do on a contract is basically, when you give someone a signing bonus, that money gets split evenly amongst the amount of years in the deal. So, you know, the base salary is going to all be paid in one year. Any roster bonus is going to be paid in in that year, but Mm -hmm. the signing bonus will be spread out. So, let's say you have a three-year deal and a a, you know a six million dollar signing bonus. It'd be two, two, two. What the Saints and Eagles and Bears have done, but uh, more so the Saints than anyone else, is They'll add two void years onto the end of the deal, so they're, they're fake contract years. They do not exist. The player is not under contract for those seasons, but basically you can store prorated money in those years. So the six million over three years becomes six million over five years, mm-hmm. and it's you know now i you got me doing math in my head on, on the spot, but one point two, I think it's one point two. That's probably wrong. One point two million per year instead of two million. So if you do that with enough players. You just keep creating short-term cap space. So they've done that. But the problem is, is that, like I said, there are these void years for these guys that are already old. They have, you know, prorated signing bonus money sitting in 2023 for a guy that will be, I mean, you know, he'll be on Social Security by the time it's 2023. So that's that's how they did it.
0: They basically just, it it boggles my mind. it's well, now you explained it. I, I, I clearly understand it. they basically just created a cap space in the short term, like you said, and so you can just sign an extra guy or use the money somehow. But it's like it's a paying whatever the saying is paying somebody to pay the pipe, basically, basically borrowing from the future to yep. pay. Now, yep. I'm screwing it up, but I know what I'm trying to say in my own mind, at least. But, um. It's it it's insane to me. It's it's a crazy it's a crazy situation. I when I kept looking into it, it was so so crazy to me that they're able to pull this off, and they're basically just doing Bollywood years, basically <laughs> adding yep. on money to years that don't exist yet, to, just to pay their guys. It's like twenty twenty three doesn't even exist, so it doesn't even matter really. But who cares in the end?
1: Yeah, but, no, um, I also know what you were trying to say, but I don't know the expression, so I'm not gonna try to say it. But I know what you. I know what you were getting at. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, I couldn't I had it to my tongue like I knew it was gonna say beforehand and then I lost it right in the moment. I'm like crap, but oh well, what can you do? But the reason we're here, talk about Bears, Buccaneers. Can't remember if Bears play in Tampa Bay this weekend or Thursday for that Chicago. matter. They do?
1: It's in Chicago.
0: Chicago, okay, so do play in the Windy City. Buccaneers in Chicago. Give me prediction. Score Give me whatever you want to do. Give me a score. Give me a player who goes off. Whatever you want, prediction you have, throw it at me. Sure. So, um,
1: big news of today, probably, uh, that I think is going to make Thursday more interesting, is, is the Buccaneers injury report is pretty scary. Um, you know, Chris Godwin, I don't think he's going to play. He, I think we already know for a fact, is probably not going to play. Chris Godwin, very good wide receiver. Um, sure. Both Mike Evans and Scotty Miller did not practice today. They haven't practiced all week um and obviously you know we're recording on Tuesday so they have one more day tomorrow to practice on Wednesday uh before the big game you know players do go the week without practicing and then play it does happen but you know it's obviously not ideal to do when you're going to play you know the Bears defense and you know Brady's been there for four games like you want chemistry you want all those things you know you know firing on all cylinders so I do think that levels the playing field. Um, but on the other side of the ball, I mean, this Buccaneers defense, you know, I think it's, it's, it's something of an underrated storyline. But what Todd Bowles has been able to do in Tampa since getting there, um, you know, they still do give up points at times because the secondary is super, super young. Like they're all 25 or younger. So they do make some mistakes, but they're getting better every single week. Um, and then you just I mean, that front, I mean, Levante David and Devin White is probably the best linebacker duo in the NFL. Oh, no, no! Wait, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, right. and then you have 100 guys in the defensive line. I mean, you got Barrett, Sue, um, Vitavea, JPP. So, I mean, the, the front is formidable, um, totally formidable. And here is what I talk about the Bears. Bears fans that follow me are probably sick of hearing me say this, but <laughs> the, the reason why the Bears don't win games like this is because the one thing you can attack and can exploit is the secondary, like I just mentioned but they don't have that good of a passing game. So, you know, and, and that's kind of like what we see. Yeah, I think, like I mentioned, with, the, with these smart teams that maybe don't prioritize it as much, um, you know, run versus pass. It's so like, yeah, so, you know, are the Bears going to be able to run the ball? No, because this run defense from Tampa Bay is incredible. It's, it's a, it's. I mean, like I said, the front is just really damn good at, at stopping the run. So are they going to be able to, basically, the question is, are they going to be able to throw well enough to to nullify that that loss of running game, and I don't think so because, you know, I think the, the tackles are going to struggle against some good edge rushers. They haven't seen any real edge rushers yet uh, until Justin Houston last week. And he, I mean, he ate Bobby Massey's lunch for, <laughs> and then Massey's actually had a good, had a good year, in my opinion. Yeah. He still, he still, I mean, gave him the business. So, um, it, you know, I, I, I see, okay, sorry. So long-winded, I would say final score prediction, um, low, very low scoring because of the injuries and because of the defensive matchup, I want to say like, like twenty one sixteen
0: bucks. Okay, I like the prediction. I it is if the injuries didn't exist, like Madden, like there's no injuries, you can just turn it off. I think no doubt about it, Buccaneers just crush the Bears. And that's not saying anything negative to the Bears. I think the Buccaneers just have a good roster. But Scotty Miller being hurt, Chris Godwin being hurt, OJ Howard, I think is hurt with something. He's out for the year. Out for the, the year. Oh, yeah. oh, he is a firm Achilles. Oh, dang. Well, O.J. Howard torn Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> um, it does make it a little more interesting to me because I like the Bears' defense. I like Khalil Mack. I like Akeem Hicks. I love Jalen Johnson before the before the draft, and he's looked good in Chicago. And then you got the Bears' offense. Darnell Mooney's looked at least good. He's he got a good speed down the field. Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson. We all know he's good. But that Nick Foles thing worries me. It's he's not a bad QB, but I don't know if he's good enough to push them over the edge to win the game. I think the Bears is going to Bears going to have no running game. I think Vita Vea, uh Sue are going to feast. And even if they manage to escape outside, you have two lightning fast guys and uh, Levante David and uh, Devin White. So it's going to be a real struggle from the running game perspective for the Bears' offense. I do picks every week, and I think I'm gonna go with the Buccaneers in this game, 24 to 14. I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be closer than the score says, but I think the Buccaneers are gonna win this game in the end. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think
1: it's very fair. Yeah.
0: Awesome, awesome. I think we covered all the topics we wanna cover. We talked about the Saints and their cheating, essentially to me, <laughs> but their magic wizardry. Uh, I covered the GM talk of the Bears. Brad, thank you for coming on here, buddy. I've been a fan of yours for a long, long time back at the, Over the Cap and now PFF. I was PFF made some incredible moves in the offseason. We're talking about offseason, they signed Seth Galena, they had a bunch of guys, and they signed you. They made great moves in the offseason. Let's talk about team an organization going the right way. But uh if you don't follow Brad yet, please follow him. It's at PFF Brad. After you have underscore Brad, there's always an underscore there. But if you haven't read any of his work, I recommend reading the PF ROI article he wrote about a couple weeks ago, I wanna say, a week or two yeah. ago. It was a great article. I really loved it. It's talking like roster value and t- breaks down like what teams are doing are getting the most out of their players essentially contract wise. I loved it. Brad, any plugs you want to plug away quick?
1: I mean, I Lucas, my my guy. I, th- I think you took them all up for me. Thank you again. Your uh, your signing off was as gracious as, as our sign on. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no. So just follow me at PFF underscore Brad. Um, you know, as Lucas mentioned, I I am a Bears fan, but I, you know, I, I can talk all thirty two teams and and, I, and I'm talking salary cap and roster construction and, and trades and and anything to do with that. Um, yeah, and I, and I try to get back to questions stuff like that if people have them. So uh, yeah, thanks again,
0: man. Thanks again, Brad. Loved having you on. Uh, please stay attention on for our picks i'm either gonna have them on after this or i literally just had them on before this so if you did listen to the picks thank you for listening to that part but brad thanks for coming on see you later guys welcome back to the AirL podcast i am your host usual, lucas shu uh as you just heard i had an interview with brad spielberger i thought it was a great time i am going to laugh from that guy the guy's really smart but um absolutely great time with brad we'll probably ask him on later on this year but I'm we'll gonna get right into our picks uh for the week last week we went 11 and 4 this week we uh our total record excuse me now is 42 20 and 1 again these are all money line picks these are not the spread these are just pure money line but first up for Thursday Night Football me and Brad obviously talked about it for a good part of the podcast But Buccaneers versus Bears we both picked the Buccaneers so I'm taking the Buccaneers for this one like I said before uh, the next games we got for Sunday night games are Eagles versus the Steelers. The Eagles managed to win their first game last week against the 49ers somehow. In a really weird game that made no sense whatsoever. I mean, Nick Mullen struggled with the most of the game. They finally put CJ Beathard in and then the Eagles started playing like really soft coverage and just let him do the ball on him up in the middle of the field for the whole drive in that last drive, but to no avail... Uh, Eagles hold stout. Excuse me. Eagles hold stout. Yeah, Eagles hold stout, and manage to win the game. The Steelers. They didn't get played last week because of the Titans issue, but I think they're going to continue to look good on defense, and I'm also going to take them in this game over the Eagles. Raiders. Raiders versus the Chiefs. Excuse me. Uh, I mean the Chiefs. I'm going. I have to go with the Chiefs in this game. They snuck out a win against the Patriots this last week. They. Looked okay against Patriots. Shockingly, the Patriots basically just uh, ran three at them and dropped everybody else in coverage and forced Mahomes to be incredible because, I mean, he had very little room to work, but he still managed to win the game for the Chiefs over the Patriots. Plus, I mean, that and Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham don't look good for the whole game. But, won the Chiefs over the Raiders in this game. Rams versus the Washington football team. Washington, obviously, haven't heard yet. They have benched Dwayne Haskins for Kyle Allen. It's, it's going to be the Rams over Washington. It seems like another year for Washington where they're just going to tank. They're going to lose a bunch of games. we are going to go like 3-13, and 4-12, and just suck it up. And it seems like this is going to be one of the games where they add another loss to the column. The Rams are just too good. They struggled a little bit against the Giants, and they didn't look like how they did for the past couple of weeks. But I am just happening against Washington. I think they're just going to steamroll them went by like 14 21 points a big margin bills versus the titans this game is going to be a weird game if it even happens if you haven't heard yet obviously titans they had to reschedule their game last week with the steelers to so like week seven i think it is that's when their bye week is so now they're playing the steelers week seven because of their covid issues such to now or just yesterday at least uh recording on thursday so it either happened tuesday or wednesday i can't remember what day it happened i believe it was wednesday but this being this part's recorded on thursday but yesterday news broke that the titans in nashville were holding a private workout for their players at like a local high school and photos got out images got out and nobody's quite sure what's happening as of yet right now it's 10 20 a.m central time nobody's sure what's going to happen are the Titans game Titans being forced to forfeit if they can't put a team on the field because of COVID issues? Or are they gonna reschedule the game? It's gonna touch the reschedule the game, Diane Rustin said, tweeted out because of the fact that the Bills play on Thursday night. So to push the game to Monday night, it's gonna be a bit of a stretch for the Bills. And you're punishing a team who didn't do anything wrong here, according to the NFL. It's gonna be a really weird game no matter what happens. If I'm nowhere sure if the game can be played. So what I'm gonna do is if the game does not get played, I'm taking the Bills in this game ultimately, but if this game does not get played for whatever reason. I'm just marking it down as nothing, no win, no loss, no tie. Just marking it down as nothing. But I'm gonna take the Bills in this game if it happens. I think Josh Allen is playing out of his mind right now, and I think the Bills defense will give Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and their whole Titans offense really struggles. I think they've got a really good defensive unit, and the fact that Josh Allen is balling out and looking like. It's looking like he's hitting it. It looks like he's reaching that peak that I ever thought he could reach. And he's looked great. Stone Diggs has looked great. This whole offense has looked great. John Brown. It's it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, a win for the Bills. And I think it's going to be a really nice season for the Bills. I think they're going to extend their winning streak here. Next up, we got Cardinals versus the Jets. The Cardinals struggled last week against the Panthers. Couldn't get anything going. Colin Murray couldn't get anything going. Their offense in general couldn't get anything going. And they. Panthers stifled them they looked really good meanwhile the Jets have looked like the Jets they've struggled this whole year since they've played the Broncos last week who shouldn't be in the position they are right now we talked about it last week's podcast with Cal I think they should be in the position they are right now I had hopes for them to do something decently because the seventh seed in the wild card or just be a decent team but The fact that Colton Sutton is injured, Von Miller is injured, A.J. Bouye was injured, uh, Philip Lindsay was injured, Drew Locke was injured, uh, numerous guys were injured, uh, Drew Casey was injured. Anybody you can think of that was injured. So the fact, they're just like tumbling down the hill right now. And they met the Jets, and they actually beat the Jets. With Brett Rippey and quarterback. Who eventually, just, I I don't know, just make make Brett Rippey, but they beat the Jets. (laughs) They got a win on the board. I don't know how many more they're going to be able to rattle off. I think they're going to look better with some guys coming back, but with the fact that Cortland Sutton, it's gone, and I'll get into them later, but I'm taking the uh, Cardinals over the Jets. I think Cardinals get back to their winning ways. I think they look a lot better. This offense against a terrible, 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 terrible defense the Jets have. I think they beat the Jets here. The Jaguars versus the Texans. The Jags played the Bengals last week and got beat by rookie Joe Burrow. Texans, on the other hand, right now are 0 0- in 4 in oh, four in a just a brutal I mean the Texans have just gotten the shorter than taking their schedule. They have played the Texas uh, excuse me, they played the Chiefs in the first week on Thursday night football and they got mauled like every team has been by the Chiefs. And then they played the Ravens and then they played the Steelers. Who the Steelers just stopped the Texans and then they played the Vikings. And the Texans should have been able to beat, beat the Vikings. Excuse me. Should have been able to beat them. But they didn't. And it ultimately ended the Bill Brian experience down in Houston. From 0-4, he already had questionable trades through the entire offseason pretty much. And it also resulted in him getting fired. The team is just a mess right now. Me and Brad talked about it, how much of a mess this Houston Texans team is. It's, it's just brutal. It's it's really crappy, but I think they actually win their first game. And I think even if Bill Bryan would say they would have won this game against the Jaguars. The Jaguars have struggled a lot, and they are just not a good team. And I think the Texans ultimately will be able to beat the Jaguars. Bengals versus Ravens. Like I said before, Bengals beat the Jaguars with Joe Burrow over the uh, Governor Minshew. The Ravens, on the other hand, have looked incredible through the whole year almost i mean they've only lost one game so far to the uh chiefs but every game the raven's or chiefs have played so far they've beaten everybody i mean ravens have beaten the browns the texans and uh washington making 3-1 lamar jackson has looked great for most of the year he's running through everybody except the chiefs he really try the chiefs but besides that he's looked great he's a great he's looked very good And I think against the uh, Bengals who have struggled on defense a bit they're gonna just let Lamar do whatever he wants. I think this game's gonna be not a blowout but I think it's gonna be a bit of a big margin of victory for the Ravens. I think the Ravens defense is gonna give Joe Burrow a little bit of fits but Ravens win this game handily. Panthers versus the Falcons. I think I'm taking the Falcons in this game over the Panthers. I think they finally get back on the winning track they struggled against the Packers the other week. I mean, the Packers just destroyed everybody so far this year. J. Alexander absolutely locked on covering the uh, Aaron Rodgers. Looked great. Robert Tonyan looked great. They couldn't cover anybody for worth a lick, though. The Falcons defense that is. But I think they finally get a win a back on the wing. Jack here against the Panthers. I think the Falcons are going to be able to get on their offense again and get back to doing what they did best this whole year, just scoring. And I think the Falcons Panthers offense is not going to be able to keep up with them. So I'm taking the Falcons over the Panthers here. 49ers vs. Dolphins. The 49ers lost their first game to the Philadelphia Eagles, a game that nobody saw coming, a game that shouldn't have <laughs> been won by the Eagles if Jimmy G was healthy. But it it happened. Nick Mullins struggled for most of the game. He hit Aaron throw after Aaron throw, better interception, better interception. Eventually, CJ Beathard was bringing in late in the game and almost got him back in the game. We gave him like he brought him in like five minutes earlier. Maybe they win the game, but then again, the Eagles did play really, really, really soft coverage. So, who knows? 49ers are to lose that game. Dolphins, on the other hand, have been a bit of a weird team this year. Uh, Fitzpatrick finally looked good against the Jaguars. And it looked like we're going to get Fitzpatrick of old, kind of. He put up points against the Seahawks, but. To no avail. I, I really don't think the Dolphins are going to offer much of a fight here against the 49ers. And I think the 49ers win this game for the Dolphins. Cowboys versus the Giants. The Cowboys lost to the Browns this past week in a game that was extremely high-scoring. Extremely. And saw Dak Prescott throw for like 500 yards and some insane amount of touchdowns. And everything. saying, a couple people are saying how it's kind of on, they're saying it's on Dak, essentially, and it's like, guys, no, it's not on Dak, none of this is on this offense, this offense is incredible, incredible, Michael Gallup killing it, Mark Cooper killing it, see, I'm looking really good, and Dak Prescott looking really, really good, this offense is doing great, the problem is his defense can't do anything to stop anybody, they couldn't stop a nosebleed, for goodness sake, they are terrible, and the problem is just destroyed them, and picked them apart. But I think for the Cowboys because they're playing against the Giants. The Giants don't have much of an offense right now. They have struggled for most of the year on offense. Daniel Jones has looked not the best on offense. And I think they're going to lose this game to the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys win this game. I think they put up a lot of points against the Giants. And I don't think the Giants can keep up. I think the Giants' offense is going to look better than before because the Cowboys' defense can't cover anybody. But I think the Cowboys win this game. Browns versus the Colts. This game probably the hardest game for me to decide on this in this whole uh schedule this whole week. Browns came off a really 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 good win against the Cowboys as their offense just destroyed the Cowboys defense, picked them apart. Baker looked good. Odell looked good. Their whole offense looked really really good. Wide Teller just absolutely destroyed the Cowboys defensive line and the, the, uh, the Browns offensive line in general, so to show the Cowboys defensive line, they just moved them out of the way, absolutely mauled them. And their whole team just looked really good. Defense didn't look the best, <laughs> didn't look the best at all, but Cowboys offenses look great this year. On the other hand, you have the Colts. The Colts uh, beat the Bears pretty handily this past week in one of their probably tougher games of the year. Granted, Nick Foles isn't QB and struggles a lot. struggles very often. But still a nice win from them. They got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and they gave the Bears offensive Bears defensive line fits. Phil Burrus looked decent but I think I am going with the Bronx in this game. I trust the Bronx a little bit more right now. I mean the Colts have worried me a little bit, Phil Burns has worried me a little bit with some bad decision making and bad throws, so I'm gonna go with the Browns, but I would not be shocked to see the Colts just Make this like a low scoring game and beat the Browns like 17 to 10 some weird uh game Vikings versus the Seahawks oh, excuse me Broncos versus Patriots uh I think this could be a more exciting game that people give it credit for I think the Broncos are getting back some players on a short schedule even but Broncos I think are going to be the Patriots, or, okay, excuse me, Patriots. I'm not basically Patriots I'm not thinking they're Patriots and the Broncos but it's gonna be exciting. I think the Broncos are getting back Drew Locke, they're getting back Phil Flinsey, and they make some other players. And we got a little bit more of a competitive game. Plus, to see C- on the other hand, the Patriots right now we don't know who they're gonna have playing out there. Uh, there's rumors to find Gilmore who had uh COVID, or was on the COVID plane, they flew out there. Cam Newton, obviously, had COVID last week. Who don't, we don't know who else has COVID right now. It's a good chance that a bunch of other guys have COVID right now, but we don't know. I'm going to take the Patriots in this game, but I think it's going to be a a, a more entertaining game that people will give it credit for before it happens. Vikings versus the Seahawks. I think this is going to be an incredibly high-scoring game. I think the only thing the Vikings have going for them right now is their offense. The offense doesn't look good as it used to be, but it still looks really good with Justin Jefferson, uh, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins is throwing the ball well, and I think it's going to be a really high-scoring game, but the Seahawks win this game. Russell Wilson is playing on another level right now. The only guys who are on his level right now are Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, and maybe Josh Allen honestly. Josh Allen has killed it. But Seahawks won this game. The quarterback power of Russell Wilson, unless something catastrophic happens or unless something crazy happens or unless he loses a bunch of receivers in this game or something crazy out of an ordinary or unexpected happens, the Seahawks win this game or the Vikings in a really, really, really high scoring game. Next game we got the Chargers versus the Saints. I'm taking the Chargers in this game. The Saints won their last game against the Lions, actually, and Drew Brees. I'm not gonna say he looks like he was back, but he looked like better, like he's better than before. I think this all ends this week. I think he looks like he did last week, uh, the, did this whole year. The Chargers have a really good defensive back unit. They have really good safeties, deep corners, and they got a really good pass rushers in Ingram and Bosa. And I think they're getting good to get the Saints and Drew Brees fits. I think he's going to force Drew Brees to make really good throws. And I don't know if he can still make those incredible throws. He's not going to be facing the defense of Matt Patricia this week. He's not going to be facing a really simple defense that Matt Patricia throws out where it's just what you see is what you get. There's not any disguising. There's not any getting, getting anything creative. Nothing. So Drew Brees will able to pick them apart. This week, they're not going to get that same luxury. The Chargers are going to really force Drew Brees to be great. Plus, they have Justin Herbert, who looked actually good against the Buccaneers and throwing missiles over the top of the bu- uh, Buccaneers and cut them in the game. He cut them in the game, and look, he looked good. He had a good game for uh, Justin Herbert. And I'm the first one to say that. I wasn't a big fan of Justin Herbert heading into the draft, but he's looking pretty dang good. Great deep ball thrower held in the pocket. He threw the one over the top of the Buccaneers' heads, and it's like, wow, that was a great throw. Saints, I don't know if they're going to be able to win this game. I, They might be getting Michael Thomas back this week. Some might. He just looked good this last week, but I'm going to go with Chargers in this game. That's all for the podcast, guys. I'm going to recap the picks quick for uh, uh, this week. Again, this is only money line, not spread. So in Thorsten Football, we got Buccaneers over the Bears. And Sunday, we had Steelers over the Eagles, Chiefs over the Raiders, Rams over Washington, Bills over the Titans, if it happens, if it doesn't happen, it's going to be discounted as a zero for all of it, Cardinals over the Jets, Texans over the Jags, Ravens over the Bengals, Falcons over Panthers, 49ers over Dolphins, Cowboys over Giants, Browns over the Colts, Patriots over Broncos, Seahawks over Vikings, and the Chargers over the Saints. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Please go follow the podcast Twitter account. At AirPod on Twitter at AirPod. Go follow my Twitter account Lucas Two. That's Lucas Shoe the number two. Uh, if you go follow Brad, you have a great time talking to him. At PFFBrad. Brad. If please go listen, oh, uh, listen. Please go read his article. Uh, it's an ROI article that he posted on PFF like two weeks ago. It's a really good article. It's identifying just like who gained the most value for their contract. Essentially, it's a really good article. I loved it reading it. But that's all for the podcast, guys. Please tune in next week. Probably gonna have a cheese fan on. I think I'm trying. I think I know who I'm gonna try getting in the podcast. The guy's a really smart guy. But thanks for listening, guys. See you later.